0: You know what, you guys, growing up as a kid, my mom was a real estate investor. So I always admire women that manage to juggle family and real estate and all of that stuff and make a big success of themselves. And our special guest today, Lindsay Jensen, has done exactly that. In fact, she's a busy mom of two who has built up a $10 million portfolio in less than six years. Lindsay, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: My pleasure. So tell us a little bit about the Lindsay Jensen story. What got you inspired to become a very, very, very active real estate entrepreneur in the first place?
1: Well, it's kind of twofold. So it starts being a kid. My dad was an appraiser. And so my dad worked really hard. He owned his own appraisal business. So to see him on the weekends, a lot of times my brother and I would go in with him and work in the in that business with him. And so we yeah. helped houses like this is clear back when we still used a microfish <laughs> to find like, to find the streets and stuff. So um, we would do that. And it was a ton of fun. And I think we both got bit a little bit by the real estate bug clear back then, because by yeah. the time I was 21, I was already buying my first house. Wow. Um, and my dad was helping me with that. So um, a little bit later while I was away at college had bought my first house. I got sick with mono, which led to watching a lot of infomercials on TV, which <laughs> ended up being rich dad, poor dad stuff. I yeah. got sucked into that and you read those books and I was in sales too. So like all of that just goes towards learning to not trade your time for money. Right. right. So the investing part of that from the rich dad, poor dad just made so much sense to me. And so I wanted to do that. And you fast forward to several years later and I met my husband and I told him, this is what I wanted to do. He loved the idea, was all on board. And we finally found um, a mentor here in Colorado Springs to kind mm-hmm. of learn from. And it just, after having my first my first baby, yeah. um, working full time just wasn't cutting it anymore. Like it was, I was like, "No, I can't do this. This is not going to cut it for me. But,
0: and you were in sales at that time. Is that correct?
1: I actually own a marketing company. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And, and was working with another company on marketing stuff and just doing all of that was just not cutting it. And so we said, let's scale this back and do the real, it's time to do real estate. Nice. So, nice. so that's, kind of a shortened condensed version, but those are the things that inspired me to get there for sure.
0: Well, that's good. You were much more productive with mono than I was. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <Right>? <laughs> sure.
0: But I, My memory of mono. I don't remember anything about being motivated to watch infomercials or anything, but hats off to you. That's great. Okay. So you got inspired, you got going, you found a local mentor, you had a background in marketing. What did you jump into? Like, what style of real estate investing did you do first?
1: Um, so, in twenty sixteen, I got involved in my local RIA, and they had this huge event based on creative financing. Hmm. I never heard of seller financing subject to. I had not. I hadn't heard of any of that stuff. I had heard of traditional financing and flipping, (laughs) right. Maybe Buying HUD properties, REOs and stuff like that. That's all I knew. So when I went to this, um, two day event up in Denver, my brain just exploded and I was in love with the fact that people would sell houses for all these different reasons and how I could buy them
0: and how creative it could be. Yeah.
1: Yes. I was in love. And, um, So I dove immediately straight into learning all of that and had my first seller finance deal about six months later, and I just never turned back. So to answer your question directly, it was all creative everything, but the majority of it was seller financing subject to lease purchases, um, something where I didn't have to go get a new loan every time because that really does limit not only how quickly you can buy, but also how many you can buy.
0: Right. So Lindsay, maybe for folks who aren't that familiar with with creative financing, without getting too crazy with it, yeah. let's just define, number one, what does seller financing mean? Number two, what does buying subject to mean? Number three, what does lease option mean? Do you mind just kind yeah, of giving us course. an idea of what those mean?
1: Mm-hmm. So I moved very fluidly throughout those techniques. And seller financing would be something where And there's a lot of different ways around it, but to keep it very simple, let's just say someone owns their house outright. Mm -hmm. Okay. So they have no loan on it and I pay them monthly and they hold the note on the loan. So instead of me,
0: they're like being the bank,
1: they're being the bank. Exactly. So instead of me going to the bank and getting a new loan, I'm just, I just start by paying them monthly. Usually there's not as much of a down payment. Um, if any, right. Mm -hmm. My first one, I got 0% interest on. So wow. every payment I was doing was going straight towards principal. Yeah. Nice. And so those are the fun things with seller financing that you can do. And then um, again, the big one was subject two, which I learned from my mentor and that was absolutely amazing. Cause not only can you help people who don't have any other options, you to take over loans. Okay. So let me back up a little bit. Subject two is where you're taking over somebody else's loan, right? I'm making the payment on their loan straight to their bank the loan With, without
0: having to name. qualify for that loan correct
1: yeah, yeah. i am not assuming the loan it stays mm-hmm. in their name i'm just paying their loan however i take title to the property
0: right right so everybody goes why the heck would anybody ever do that if you stop making the payments their credit goes down the tube yada true. yada so just just for folks who are kind of wondering that why would anybody sell you their property yet keep the, the mortgage in their own name.
1: So there's a lot of times where if they keep it in there, if, if they are made to pay this loan, they're not going to be able to make it anyway. Right? Like there's a lot of times where that's a scenario. So they have, they're, they're going to have better luck chancing it with someone else. Mm -hmm. But also at the same time, I just let them know, look, I can get into big trouble if I'm telling you I'm going to make these payments and I'm not. And on top of that, a lot of times there is money out of pocket at, some point in there. And I'm like, I'm going to be the worst investor ever. If I'm giving up this money and then losing the house eventually mm-hmm. anyway. So not only can this be legal trouble for me, but that's not a very good investing strategy for me. So people understand that. And so I just let them know, look, if you're not, if this, you and I need to get to know each other, if we're not going to trust each other, if you don't really trust me, let's just not even go down this road. Cause the last thing I need is a scared seller on my hands. Yeah. I so, know. um, a lot of times they feel really comfortable. By the time we've gone over everything, we close at a rate. We close at a title company, so it's all very legal. Mm-hmm. Um, and people just end up feeling very confident with it. So, a yeah, because lot of-
0: quite often they're in a situation where perhaps they owe more on the house than it's actually worth, right? So mm-hmm. the mortgage, yeah. or there's so little equity in there that if they actually had to turn around and sell it with a real estate agent it would have, You'd to, have pay. to pay, Yeah, yes. they'd have to come out of pocket to pay for that. Yeah. Oh. So there's all sorts of motivations there. Okay. Oh. The last one was lease option. So what, what, what's your definition of that, Lindsay?
1: So mine is actually called a lease purchase. We do it a little bit yes. different than a lease option. It's still kind of the same thing, but ours is, it's almost exactly the same thing as a subject to all the terms are exactly the same, but the title stays with the owner with mm-hmm. the seller. Okay. um, at, But we get a deed of trust that secures our position on the mortgage. So they can't put any other loans on it. Right. It secures they, all they of They
0: can't our, encumber the property. They, or they cannot.
1: Make- no. Yeah. We make sure that all of our present and future equity remains with us. Yeah. And even, and what's different about a lease purchase versus a lease option in the way that we do it is that we capture the pay down on the mortgage as well. Nice. So when we do that, we basically say, look, we're going to, we owe you whatever your mortgage is at the time of execution.
0: And they can't refinance or jack up anything and right. it's, it's locked in. Yeah. It's that's, locked. I think up here, maybe something kind of, sort of similar to that could be an agreement for sale, but mm-hmm. I like yours even better because it locks yeah. in the price as what's owing on the mortgage when you guys purchase it. Okay. Smart. Thank you very much for explaining that. So the other, I love talking with people that have a marketing background. So Lindsay, you're doing, you've, you've done a quite a few deals. Sounds like you're, you're very active with finding properties. What do you find works best for attracting these motivated sellers?
1: My number one go-to is direct mail. Is which it? probably makes a lot of people cringe, but I've been really successful with that. You just have to have fun with the the postcard writing, right? Like do something different that makes you stand out. Um, so that's my number one. But to be honest, I have purchased from door knocking. I've purchased from cold calling. I've purchased from text messaging. Um, I've gotten a lot of referrals, realtors. I mean, I've purchased from every possible avenue Um, so all of them work if you're willing to put in the time and effort, right. Mm -hmm. Um, and the consistency. So I always want to preface it with that, but like the reason direct mail is my favorite is because what you mentioned, I have two little kids. I do not want to weed through all of the, like the people who are not interested. And I find that direct mail weeds through those that are not interested better than most of the others.
0: Interesting. Okay. So what do you mean by that? And how do you use it to weed people out? Like, how do you, How do you filter folks?
1: Um, I just feel that like if you're texting someone or cold calling them out of the blue, Mm. there can be a lot more conversation made, um, especially if you're hiring (laughs) someone else to do that, right? So I get a lot more that I have to filter through that are not real sellers Mm. in those other avenues than I do with direct mail. When they're actively picking up a message that you've sent them and calling you, there are so many more that are much closer to that sale point than with the other forms of marketing
0: right that makes a lot of sense Bryce I know you got a ton of experience when it comes to marketing for mobile well, sellers
2: totally the same thing it's it's it always seems like the people that are calling those direct mailers are you know it it the percentages are low but when they call that they're ready and, and it seems like in my experience and maybe the question I had for you was you still do the phone work you're still answering those calls or taking those yes. calls. And I so do you feel do. like your do you feel like your marketing background and your sales background helps you on the phone? Cause I always say, you know, sure. get good on the phone because you can lose the deals as well, just as easy as you can get them.
1: I think absolutely a hundred percent. I feel like everything I did in the past, because I've always been in sales and marketing. So I feel like absolutely that built up my background for doing this, right? And probably part of the reason I was able to scale so quickly, because I'm not afraid to talk to people. And I truly believe in what I'm doing as far as helping people. And if people are scared, that is harder to get across to the sellers, right? If they're scared, they what comes across to the sellers is they're like, oh, why is this person afraid? What's going on? They can feel that. And so the pure fact that I believe in what I'm doing and I'm so comfortable talking to people. A hundred percent makes it easier for sellers to talk to me. So
2: yeah, definitely. When you know you can help them, that's when um, you're able to actually convey that and close on these properties. And with all the creative financing, I'm, I'm, you know, it's definitely going to be the, uh, probably the rest of your scale is, is going to be continuing that. How you plan to expand this business, you know, there's only so much of you to go around. So what's the next step for you?
1: Well, um, I, uh, that's the other thing that I do I, kind of well, if I say so myself is I'm really good at setting up systems because I can't be there all the time. Right. So my taking care of my 70 doors maybe takes me about two hours a week. Um, but I have systems and I have a couple of assistants that help me with all that. So, um, and I do that with everything with rehabs, with, um, Anything I'm doing, there's a system, even the stuff that I handle has a system so that I don't have to keep it up here all the time. Right. And then if I'm plugging other people into it, it's plug and play. So systems are so important if you're looking to scale. And if I wanted to scale this, um, I just plug more people in, right?
0: Very nice. So you talked about the importance of consistency, Lindsay, maybe walk us through because some, some people are just getting started, have no clue. What's involved with creating a a, a lead generation machine? Sure. So maybe just focus on the direct mail side of things. Do you have a particular cadence? Do you have like how often do these mailers go out to the same neighborhoods over and over again for that consistency? Sure. You want sharing that?
1: No, not at all. So um, from the time I started up until probably COVID time. It was every six weeks. I was marketing to a list every six weeks. Right. And usually one of two types of lists. It was either an absentee owner or someone with low equity. Um, and so they were the same list and I would repull every three to six months with the same criteria. So, um, and it's, yeah, it is consistency. Did I get a sale on every single On every single mailer? No, I didn't. But, and especially in the beginning, like it sounds, is always like, oh, wow, she built such a huge portfolio in six years. But like you pointed out already, I had had sales and marketing experience in my past. Mm -hmm. And I also had some real estate experience in my past, right? So I've had a, my dad's an appraiser. Um, I was, I used to work for lenders before the big crash. So I had a lot of knowledge as far as a lot of that stuff went. And then I owned two of my own homes before I even started this. I was already a landlord, right? So um, when you're, when you're consistent, it's not just about the marketing, but when I first got started in creative deal-making, it was six months before I got a deal.
0: Wow. Yeah, that's impressive. That's persistence for sure. Yeah. So just to give people an idea, like how many postcards are you sending out every six weeks to create the deal flow that you've
1: got? It was an average of about 5,000.
0: 5,000 every six weeks. Yeah. Yeah. That's serious, right? That's a serious business. It's it's, And you say that was pre-COVID. Right? Have you changed things since COVID?
1: I just started getting a lot of referrals during the COVID time and the market changed a lot during that time. So I just went to doing a lot more referrals and even now the market has changed and I don't have a need to build as quickly. So I'm just in a different point in my marketing and investing game. Yeah. So So what what are
0: you focusing on these days then? So you're changing from acquisition to what?
1: I'm focusing more on, I work with what's called master leasing. So helping sellers who can't sell, who maybe can't cover their payments with rent. And so I'll, I'll lease out their property for free. Like I don't charge them, but I get control over it with an option to buy and it. You,
0: and then what do you do with it?
1: Um, to buy it in the future. So I if if let's say they're losing 150 a month, yeah, they can't cover the rent, I'll take it over subject to once we can cover the mortgage with the rent.
0: Interesting. This is the first time I've heard of that. That's pretty cool. Yeah, so she's
2: sitting on properties and taking options. And if she, are you having to put down money to take the so option? You have
0: to make up the hundred, you're not making up no. the $150 a month difference?
1: Nope. That's why I'm doing a master lease because I'm technically renting from the owner and then subleasing. So they have to take on all the negative, right? But I'm doing it for free. If they were to put that with a property, they're going to be losing an extra 200 250 a month.
2: Very so you're doing cool. the leasing for them.
1: Yeah, it's for free, but in return for that, I get control of the property.
0: And what what is your exit plan for these properties? Like what does that look like, Lindsay?
1: Um, again, just once I can cover the mortgage with the rent, I can buy it subject to and then give it, you know, 10 plus years and either refinance or resell or who, you know, keep it in my rental portfolio. So that's the long-term plan with them.
0: Interesting. Very, very cool. So that's what you're focusing on for the foreseeable future. Do you find that there yeah. are quite a few, quite a few property owners that are open to that these days?
1: Oh, they don't have much of a choice. Like yeah. they want, if they want to get rid of it, it's either like you said earlier, they have to bring tens of thousands of dollars to closing, or they're looking at, instead of losing 150 a month, they're looking at losing closer to 500 a month, 400 a month. And that's not very palatable for very many people. No.
0: No, that's right. So just out of curiosity, out of the 70 doors that you're you're currently managing, how many of them under are under these circumstances?
1: The the master leases. Yeah. Um geez, I don't know the exact breakdown because some of them are just straight master leases for profit, right? For doing this for other people. And then I just started doing this type of master leasing. So I'd say between five and ten are the you know where i'm doing it kind of for free for now and then i have control over the property.
0: Oh, that's very cool. Yeah. Nice thing is the rest of your portfolio pays the bills. This is this is future banking. This is Exactly. Land banking without having to come out of pocket. You've got the systems in place for managing tenants and toilets already, so it's not really a big deal for you.
1: Right. And just, it goes right into my system. Yes.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Very very cool. Well, appreciate you sharing that lindsay's hey
1: yeah.
0: um things are wrapping up here if people want to connect and find out more about lindsay jensen what can they do
1: sure they can go to cleverkittyinvesting.com
0: <laughs> i
1: like that <laughs>
0: cleverkittyinvesting.com all right yes. yeah
1: so that's my website um and then my social my instagram is kitty. Um, with an underscore behind it. And then, so those are the main two right now. There's a Facebook Clever Kitty investing. Um, So those are the main ones that they can get a hold of me on.
0: Very memorable. You must be a marketer or something like that. I tell you what. I don't
1: know. I don't know.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Well, thank you very much for being on the show. And Bryce, thanks for your help again, my friend.
2: No problem. Thanks for having me.
0: All right, everybody. Take care. We'll see you on the next episode.